What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Tripper here on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. It is Monday, February 17th. I am joined by Conrad Bayer. How are we doing? Jack Sherwood. Hello, test, test, new mic. Yes, Sherwood's sitting there at mic four. That is actually working right now, which is fantastic. I am Pat Zhang. I want to thank everyone there for uh, for hanging with us through a little bit of testing. We were testing Skype at the beginning of the show because we are supposed to have uh, one of my one of my friends from high school calling in to help out with the NBA section and come on James Ryder. But unfortunately, the headphones are not working in the station, which means we would not be able to hear the Skype call. And it would be pretty difficult to have a conversation when we can't hear the person on the other end of it. And then we want, out. Hey, exactly. And then we wanted to test out Sherwood's mic there because we have had some tinkering in the studio, and it looks like it's coming through. Sounds like people can hear That's you. That's good. I know. So very, we're yeah. all back at our own mics now for the first time in a very long time. Back to my office. <laughs> Where you belong. Yes. I don't have to share with you. Keep your distance, Conrad. Don't touch me. <laughs> Don't you feel the love here a couple days after Valentine's Day? Uh, absolutely stupendous. Wouldn't would expect absolutely nothing less. But again, thank you for hanging through us, hanging with us through uh, the issues there. So we'll get into some shout outs before we head into the show. Excuse me. I'm just saying, don't touch me. Is hilarious. <laughs> don't touch me. Well, like I said, now you guys have some healthy space between yeah, you because God knows we need it. <laughs> exactly. There's a glass wall right between. Yeah, it's uh, like right here. It's don't just you cry. This is bad radio right now. Yep, that's that's fantastic. The you can check it out on the Instagram. There you go. That's all I wanted to hear. Uh, but we'll start with the shout outs and shout outs to Connor, Jordy, Megan, Jules, Shannon, Joe, Rebecca, Rick, Dan, Brian, Jack. Madeline, Katie, Cap City, Matt Cohen, James Ryder will enter in for this one. I hope we can have you on next week. Uncle Ken, Aunt Diane, Marie Jo, Johnny, Mom, Dad, Bears, Kane Sherwoods, Woods, Moyes, everyone, anyone. Thank you so much for listening. As we just plugged, you can check out the Instagram uh, live right now, round underscore triple 23, if you want a live feed of the studio. And the podcast will go live every Tuesday morning on iTunes and Spotify. Just search round tripper. So how was everyone's weekend? Good. Very good. How was it? All right, James, we might be back on then. Cause nice. These, cause boys these, are back. Uh, these are working, which is great. So if you heard that. Clap for Conrad. Boys, yeah, thank you very much to our engineer, Conrad. Um, the converter wasn't plugged in. There you go. Um, <laughs> wow, that was horrific sounds right there. Sorry, I, I saw it wasn't plugged in. I was like, wait, this could fix it. You just absolutely <laughs> took years <laughs> off of my hearing with that as well. At least no one was wearing that phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, exactly, right? That's. <laughs> Oh my God! What a disastrous start. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but we're good because it fixed now, so we we can actually hear. <laughs> so we're gonna start with some Villanova basketball. Nova comes in ranked at number twelve for the week, the highest ranked team in the Big East, which we'll get into in a little bit. Jeremiah Robinson Earl picked up his sixth Big East Freshman of the Week award uh, with a solid performance, mostly against Marquette, but also pitched in some work against Temple as well. So like I said, a two and zero week, a win over Marquette, 72 to 71, as well as a win at Temple, 76 to 56. So we'll start with the Marquette game, a huge win for the Wildcats broke a three game losing streak. How was Villanova able to really get back on track? Um, well, I think you have it literally on the sheet. Is just there was secondary scoring somewhere on here. You have oh right here secondary scoring. That's literally what it was. If you look at um, I think just touch on a point from yesterday's game is everyone that attempted a three pointer made one, which obviously is going to be. I think there were six guys that, or seven guys. I think once why or once uh, someone took one crunch or not in crunch time, but the end of the game, but they were just able to get really rounded out scoring is no one over 17, which was obviously Jeremiah and Samuels 14, which is great. He was actually the, tied for the second leading scorer with Gillespie. 
And that's why they just had a very spread out scoring instead of having, well, as we talked about in previous weeks, of two guys putting in Gillespie and Bay putting in, you know, most of the work is we were able to get distributed scoring. And yeah, I think that was it. And they, we had very good defense on, um, good defense on Marcus Howard. Obviously, he put in 24, which is, you know, a good game. But for him, that's kind of a little ho hum. And we were able to get foul trouble on Theo John very early. Yeah, I also think it was that it didn't really, neither game turned into the Gillespie, uh, Robinson, Earl, no, no, Bay game. Oops. Uh, the the Temple game almost did with Gillespie putting in 29, but that was, no offense to Temple, a little, not only less of an important game because it wasn't a Big East game, but also less challenging considering Marquette, I believe, was ranked going into the game on Wednesday. 18th. 18th, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was important to get the secondary scoring, and that was definitely with Samuels in that Marquette game. Um, he really started off um, with that in that first half. Kind of, he was able to not only distribute the ball, but also put a couple buckets in that really made that Marquette defense kind of respect his game a little more. Because if you remember last year when the game was in the Pavilion, that was like kind of call it the Samuels game. It where was he went Samuels off. game. Yeah, um, and that's really the start of this new Samuels that we've seen. Um, so I, I think they were a little worried about that. And then that just let everyone else with um, Robinson Earl having 17, Gillespie having 14, and just really nobody nobody had to take over that game. It was balanced scoring. Um, and then once they got that Marquette game, I think they just got their confidence up and then just being able to drive down the road to Temple. Um, that was kind of a little bit easier of a win, even though they didn't start off the game too well. Yeah, so I, definitely the secondary scoring is the most important part there. I mean, Jermaine Samuels finally looking comfortable coming back from the foot injury. 14 points. Shooting wasn't great, but the big thing for him is he got to the line and he was effective from the line because that's been a real weakness in his game. Also pitched in seven rebounds and four assists. He continues to do everything. Jeremiah Robinson Earl with yet another double-double as the kid has been an absolute stud. That's eight double-doubles on the season for a true <laughs> freshman. It is fantastic. Gillespie handled the workload. But what I really want to spotlight from that game was the defense was really good. And it's that was Nova's biggest weakness kind of with that three-game losing streak. Just pinpointing on Marcus Howard. Howard had 13 points with two minutes left in the game. He scored 11 with under two minutes left when Villanova was just sagging off and trying not to foul. I mean, that's pretty good for, for literally the Big E's all-time leading scorer because that yeah. last bucket... For Howard, the three-pointer where he just pulled up where no one defended him and he hit, made him the Big East all-time leading scorer. Now, it's also strangely poetic that Howard breaks a record in a loss because that just feels like that kind of sums up his career where he's been so spectacular and so fantastic, yet Marquette hasn't been able to really get over a hump uh, per se. But defensively, I thought it was really well. What was very surprising was Justin Moore was the one that Jay attributed to guarding him a lot, especially early on. And then he kind of went to a rotation of Slater, Samuels, and Bay along with Moore. It was a team effort on on Wednesday night, and you know what? They made a huge difference. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, definitely. I think what you said, defense by committee, is I really liked when Slater, I felt like Slater, I, I think, I, or let me back up. Moore played really good defense on him the first couple minutes, is and then he he immediately got sad because I think he gave up two or three quick buckets, mm-hmm. which is you know he's a freshman. It's his second time ever guarding what you just said the all time leading Biggie score. I think Slater played really well on him, and and that's exactly what I think going into the game. The game plan was to take the ball out of Marcus Howard's hand, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and especially just looking towards 
Villanova on that losing streak and why things got got as bad as they did with those three games. They were holding teams to an effective field goal percentage, which is basically your true percentage, counting in free throws as well, to 47% before the losing streak. That three-game losing streak, it went up to 58%. That's some pretty horrific defense to allow teams on average to shoot 58%. Points per possession from Villanova defensively was at 1.05 for the whole part of the season, which is pretty good. Dropped down to 0.99, which is very good. And then it shot up to 1.17. 1.17 is not sustainable for a team that can go into... Well, Ken Palm ranks is pretty offensively efficient. We saw pretty offens- offensively efficient last night. But we also know that when the secondary scoring is not there, things get pretty stagnant pretty quickly. So defensively, the numbers show that it was just not pretty for Villanova the last couple games. And it seems like they righted the ship against Marquette. Not an easy team to right the ship against, by the way. The leading scoring team in the Big East. And also, too, what I liked was, obviously, we got off to the hot start. I believe we started... Don't quote me, but seven of eight from three, maybe. Because I remember looking up and seeing it was around it was a seven of ten. I yeah, think is what it ended 10. up being. That first half, they were just yeah, on, on fire and couldn't miss anything. And then the rest of the game, they only made two. Marquette actually made more three pointers, uh, made more three pointers on us. Which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's a good where we kind of, you know, we shot lights out at the beginning, and then we were still we were still able to win without, you know, some could say our biggest weapon, the three pointer. You know, which obviously we saw last night. Everything they threw up went in, but um, you know that was very good to also see that. You know, we didn't attempt. Fit. I think yesterday we shot. Was it forty-eight from the three-point three-point or something crazy? It was. It good was that, a lot of threes yesterday. Yeah, it was good that we were nine of thirty-one, which is very you know very good stat line, and it just showed that we weren't totally reliant on the three-point, which we kind of have been in previous years. I'm looking at kind of last year, and also too obviously the Final Four game against Kansas, where we just couldn't miss. Yeah, and a lot of those guys from that Final Four game in Kansas were at the game yeah. yesterday, which is a cool way to transition into a win against Temple, a seventy-six. 256 win against the Owls to claim a Big Five championship. Remember, Villanova did not win that Big Five last year. Uh, Penn came away with the victory there. Also, for all four of Villanova's wins, as they did complete an undefeated sweep throughout Philadelphia, each one was by double digits. Mm-hmm. So, progress from Jay Wright's team, especially yesterday. Yeah, I think it was really good. I think it was, I really liked having this kind of last game of the Big Five in February. Spread out a little bit. I like that because it's a, uh, because obviously it's a lot of fun having three games in the non conference, but. I don't want to say it gets tiring, but it kind of leaves a nice little seed in the back end of the schedule of, because obviously both, I think Temple's 3-1 and one going into this, we were, or pardon me, they were 2-1, we were 3-0, and oh, and if Temple beat us, we would have They would have had a share of it, yeah. We would have, which I think, and that's, I talked with my roommates about it, or Madeline, I was like, if they beat us, if we're both 3-1 three, three and one, they beat us head-to-head, they should be the outright, because they have head-to-head win. But I think, I um, but I liked having that toward the end of the year, like that nice little nugget to look forward to, you know, for the Philly Five able to play and i know that jay said in a quote it's kind of been said that villanova wanted to come away from the big five around the early 2010s ish because i didn't think it was that competitive but i'm very glad that they didn't because it is a lot of fun as it is has a lot of history with philly basketball and those games are always fun take a look at when we won national championship lasalle was what they were like 20 point dogs that game and and we beat them by two like in the last 30 seconds and same thing this year like we always have a tough time against lasalle and it's all those games are so much fun to watch because Obviously, for the other three schools, it's you know it's a chance to you know take a shot at the big dog and the you know in the Philly schools, but it's just a lot of fun and it kind of is an ode to the past of you know when all five of those teams were very very good. Yeah, and the, the thing with these games too, so Villanova went four zero and won them all by double digits, but each game gave Villanova a, a tough time. Yeah. The Lasalle game we were early, down at half in this yeah, game. Ashley Howard really kept them in it. I mean, Temple, as you just said, was up at halftime. St. Joe's was a slog for Villanova yeah. to get yeah. through. 
Patton was probably the best performance from Villanova, and Nova just kind of pulled away there at the end to be able yeah, to win it. Yeah, they have the, um, one, of their pl- one of their players injured against Penn as well. But yeah, and going back to the St. Joe's game, is Ryan Daly put up like 32, and mm-hmm. that was kind of a yeah. big... By doing the same thing over and over again, just yeah. driving into the lane, which was probably a signal that the Villanova defense needed some work. Yeah, and which was good because we were able to figure that out. You know, we were kind of able to see that and get away. From, you know, obviously it's always great to win a game when you didn't do any when you didn't when you had a lot of struggles that you have to patch up where it's it's better look at that in a win than be like oh shoot if we did this we could have won it's like no we played this poorly but we still got to you know walked away with the win yeah absolutely so with those wins as well as some other losses that we'll get to in a second here villanova now finds themselves just a game and a half back in the big east conference so seton hall has dropped their last two games against creighton and against providence for seton hall uh, against creighton they were just blitzed by Creighton, Tyshawn Alexander has blossomed into quite the player there. Most important, or most shockingly, that game, Mitch Ballack had zero points, yeah. and Creighton was still able to come away with the victory. Miles Powell went ice cold in that game, three of sixteen, I believe, it was one of eleven from three, and it shows that. Well, I really love this Pirates team, and I think they've got a lot of potential. If Powell goes cold, they are still in big trouble because they're so reliant. And on that's what we talked about for the tournament. Can they get out there? They could be Final Four team, but they can be. if Powell stays hot and Mamu and and yeah. McKnight gives them decent support, they they can absolutely be Final Four bound with how good that defense is. But if Powell goes three for sixteen, one of eleven from deep, they're in trouble. Yeah, they they're in trouble. And then the other game, a lost Providence on the road, definitely the more surprising of the two because Creighton's actually a, a very very strong team. They only sit at one game back of Seton Hall right now, uh, solely in second place. Providence shot thirty five free throws in that game at home. And also rode 35 points from Alpha Diallo, a player who's been pretty unimpressive this season, which is surprising because yeah. Diallo went in very highly regarded this year, has c- continued to progress under Ed Cooley, but hasn't shown the flashes of who I think a lot of people thought he was going to. But there was Alpha Diallo coming out with his biggest game of the season against Seton Hall to bring Nova within a game and a half. So, is Villanova back in this thing? I mean, remember, there's still a date with the Pirates coming up. In a couple of weeks, I, I think they they definitely have a chance at this because just looking at the schedules, I think of the three teams, so of um, Creighton, Seton Hall, and Villanova, I think Villanova has relatively the easier schedule. I mean, these are all very hard games in this Big East that's very very good this year, where. Villanova has to play DePaul at DePaul at Xavier, home against St. John's, home against Providence, at Seton Hall, which is a tough game, and at Georgetown. The only ranked game of that is the Seton Hall game, mm-hmm. where of ranked teams, Creighton still has to play at Marquette, um, home against Butler, and then home against Seton Hall again. And then um, Seton Hall's, Seton Hall's got the doozy has to play left. Four Butler, out of five. Yeah, Butler Marquette at Marquette. Villanova again, and then at Creighton. So the Marquette and Creighton games away, especially, make this really interesting. If if Villanova is able to win that game um, against Seton Hall at Seton Hall um, in March, I think they're going to be in position as long as they they're going to be in position that game. Where if they win that, they win the win the conference regular season. Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. I think that if I think even. Go back to last week when we were talking about when, when Seton Hall beat us. We thought, oh, it's great, Seton Hall. You know, they're going to win the Big East. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward seven days later, and it's, you know, it's it's Big East basketball. It's what we grew up watching, what was a little bit stagnant there in the in the early 2010s, and it's back to, you know, obviously we talked about five teams being ranked, half the teams in our conference being ranked, and going on the road against a Providence team that isn't that great. And 
not laying an egg, but Providence going out there and doing very well. So I think that, especially too, as we've talked about a lot about, um, you know, like the teams and how and how they've played before. So I think that I would 100% give Villanova the edge. Obviously a very homer take, but just based off the way that, you know, that they've played in big games, the way that they've been there before. And we've talked about Seton Hall not being able, I don't want to say finish, but not being able to step up in big games. Yeah, I will say shame on me last week for thinking that Seton Hall <laughs> had this thing with a three-game lead just with how impressive the Pirates have been. But then the Big East just comes up and bites them. And then that's the big thing is that what Conrad just talked about with that schedule. Like, let me repeat who Seton Hall finishes with. Marquette, Villanova, Creighton, and Butler. That's four of their last five. That's murderer's row of the Big East. And that's not yeah. to say any game in the Big East is easy. But those are the four toughest teams in the Big East. So this thing is far from over for Seton Hall. The thing to watch is if Creighton can overtake this thing because Creighton is so good. And Quietly. They, quite, exactly. They just ride that system, that high-paced, high-tempo system. Again, Tyshawn Alexander is going to be an NBA player, whether he gets drafted in the first round or the second round. Mitch Ballack makes a ton of big shots for them. Marcus Zagorowski is a three-point marksman from deep. Creighton is tough. Villanova is too. lucky to have split from them with one and one. Cause remember how that first game went in yes. Omaha yeah. where it was, again, I'll use the word slog for the second time in, in the segment and Villanova just had, Colin Gillespie mostly just yeah. ripped them back into that game. So Creighton's really the team to watch where Villanova's right in this thing, especially with the date with Seton Hall still coming up. It's going to be really interesting to watch. And also too, I just want to say just quickly is obviously is, um, I'm just looking at the, um, looking at the bracket for the biggest tournament is usually when you get that first seed, is you kind of get a little bit of a bail out of play. You know, if you, obviously if you win your first game, is getting a bail out of playing the four seed in the semifinals. There is no bail out this there's, year. It's literally like one through four, which are going to be pretty closely solidified for that. Buckle up because Friday night. Friday night at the Garden. It's going to be. Is going to be one of the best Friday nights yeah. at the Garden there's been in a while That's, at this it's, tournament. It's, there's no week. And obviously, as you just said, there's, there's no weak dog in the Big East, but yeah. in those top four, Literally pick them out of a hat and put them there because that's about as you know as close as we're going to come you know between now and the end of the month. Yeah, and that is a fantastic point from you about how great that Friday night is going to be for the Big East tournament coming up the week after spring break. Cannot wait for it. Also, too, Wednesday of spring break when we're there, you're going to be there, correct? Because you'll be there on yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday. eight thirty Wednesday at Seton Hall. There's the Seton Hall game. That's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. That's oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. If, I think if there were one game to say, what would we want to watch? Obviously, you know, picking it now, it would be that game, especially away where you know we wouldn't have the chance of being there. So that'll be a lot of fun to get eighteen rowdy college Villanova students taking over Fort Lauderdale. It, we're turning into Nova Nation down yes. there. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for that. But sticking with that Big East theme as well, a quick look ahead to Villanova's week. At DePaul on Wednesday night at Wintrust Arena, the gorgeous Wintrust Arena. Yeah, just close right. to the All Star, yeah. some of the All Star facilities. You've been there. What would you think of it? It's beautiful facility. Yeah, it it's looks fantastic. Down. It's it's, it's where the fantastic. women's tournament is hosted yep. for the Big East, and it it really is a top notch facility. So DePaul enters on a seven game losing streak, which you may think, oh, who really cares? Most of those losses are very close against the Big East. They are one and eleven. Who do you think that only win is against? Isn't it number five Butler? When they beat them. And that just yeah. shows what this conference is like. I mean, DePaul is going to be no pushover on Wednesday night, especially at home. Paul Reed is a force underneath the basket. Charlie Moore is a shooter yeah. for them. And it'll be it a tough game. Overtime. It it just overtime. Just overtime like 79-75, that game finished. Like but yes, they, yeah. they, they clawed that game back. And then Xavier coming up as well over the weekend. Cintas, always not a fun place to go into. They've got their marquee win over Seton Hall uh, so far in conference play. They're winners of three of their last four. They play St. John's. 
actually believe right now they're playing the Johnnies. They're led by Najee Marshall, who's going with 16 points, six boards a game, and Tyus Jones, or Tyreek Jones, excuse me, uh, 14 points and 11 boards. Tough week for Villanova. It's a tough week, but if Nova can kind of start to put together a little bit of a winning streak, the Big East is absolutely in play. Yeah, just quickly, uh, Xavier's up to a half. They are, St. okay. St. John's, yeah. So they're, and it's at St. John's, correct? Yeah, yes, correct. So, yeah, and, and again, not a tough, not an easy game, excuse yeah. me, for, for Xavier to be able to go on the road to the Johnnies. So, interesting. Any uh, any other Nova basketball points you want to hit before we send it to break? I would say this is about as good of, like, a slowdown as you could have in the Big East. And, obviously, I'm going to eat my words next week and we're going to lose. But, you know, but, like, yeah, obviously, exactly. look, obviously, looking at how tough the Big East is, going on the road two times is very tough, but... It's good to, you know, get a week where we're not playing home against Creighton or, you know, away at the but- at Butler, home against, you know, number 10 or number 12 Scene Hall at that point. So it's good to, you know, get some games where we could, you know, hopefully get out to some leads and, you know, expand the scoring again. And hopefully not blow it in the last two minutes. Yeah. But again, this is That'd the biggest. Nice. So literally anything can happen. Any, so fingers crossed. And it's. Yeah, it's kind of, honestly, I look at these games and they're all 50-50 if we're going to win or not. It's not like, yep. you know, we're going in there where eight-point favorites is like, no, they could... We could go cold. They obviously that's sports. Is we could go cold. They could go hot. But it's just in the Big East away. Anything can happen. Yeah. So a, a very interesting to watch this countdown as we are just a little over three weeks until the march to Madison Square Garden in March for that Big East tournament. And the Big East regular season is very much up in the air now. When we thought it was a done deal just seven days ago, shows how impressive this conference is. All right, we're going to send it to a quick break, and then we'll be joined by James Ryder to do some NBA All Star recap as well as a second half preview. This is Round Trip Round WXVU, and we'll be right back. Also, back here on Round Tripper, American kids there for President's Day, American holiday, right? Yeah, we still had to go to school. school We did. We did still have school today. So that was that that was a little difficult, but you know, just, but you know we're we're rocking and rolling, right? So we will get into some NBA talk now. NBA All Star Weekend happened over the weekend. It was in Chicago. Yep. I was gonna say I'm expecting a reaction out of you. Yeah, they did a, not a terrible job at it. No, it was, except for the dunk contest, which was the like probably one of the most Chicago things ever. Yeah, and we'll messing uh, that up. Wait, what? We'll, Hello, are you talking? You guys hear me all right? Yeah. Yep, there we go. All right, awesome. How's it going? Perfect. Glad to have you on. Um, you know what? Try turning off the video and just focusing with the... Go Try to turn it to mic because that usually comes through clear. But so we are going to get into some NBA skills competition talk to start with it. So Bam Adebayo won the skills competition. Participants of the skills competition, Patrick Beverly, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Shea Gildress-Alexander, Chris Middleton, Derek Rose was supposed to. Yep, it's unfortunate he pulled out. Uh, Sabonis, Siakam, Tatum. Any any surprises from it? Yeah, that a big um, one. Oh shit! Starting with the three point contest, it's always a great contest. Probably always the most successful one. Uh, fun to watch just because obviously you bring some of the best shooters together. Start to see the range and the added the four point line this year or the four point spot, uh, and a lot of guys hit them, and it's just incredible to see uh, the range that some of these guys have. Uh, as far as surprises though, my pick was Davis Bertans. I just felt like picking him as like the sleeper because usually with these contests you don't really know who's gonna win. Uh, there's a lot of choices. Uh, the only disappointment was probably Trey. 
very young. He was just terrible at first round. <laughs> uh, but Buddy Heal, that was tempted to pick. He ended up winning. He almost won it last year. He's great. Devin Booker is on his revenge tour for not getting voted into the All-Star game, replacing Damian Lillard on uh, both events. Uh, he was great. Buddy Heal seemed to just come in at the last second and take that from him. Uh, but it, it's always a fun contest to win. Uh, and seeing Buddy Heal win, he just went off. And so uh, it's not really a surprise. Uh, the surprise, though, with the uh, skills challenge, though, was great. Uh, seeing all the big guys in there, they all won their first rounds. You talked about DeMontis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo being the winner, Pascal Saigon. They're all great talents. They're all so amazing. They're all all-around games. Uh, Pascal won most improved last year. Um, we're seeing him still improve somehow. He's just an incredible talent. Uh, Bam Adebayo averages five assists a game at the center position for yeah, Miami. Yeah, he moves it. Big part of what they've done. Uh, and then you talk about, um, yeah, just Bam winning it, seeing all those guys, these big men, the evolution of the big men in the NBA, uh, able to take over the skills competition. It's been incredible. Yeah, that, that's been cool. I kind of touched on Heald first. It's been really impressive seeing his his just improvement through the years. Because remember him at Oklahoma. I mean, he was a stud. And we remember how his college career ended. It was hmm. Villanova shooting them out of the gym. But so Heald got drafted, kind of didn't do too much, but he started to really rise up the ranks in Sacramento, turn himself into a player, and was drilling some threes over the weekend. Yeah, no, he's definitely really improved his game over the years. Um, and that trade to Sacramento, which I believe was for Boogie, was he part of that? Was it that the trade he was you, I, Yes, you're correct, because he was originally drafted by New Orleans. New Orleans, yes. and, um, and he really didn't do anything with New Orleans, <laughs> and then really in Sacramento has made himself a key player, and I believe he's looking to get paid this offseason. I believe he's due for that, and he's definitely... He's definitely earned it. We'll see if he's able to keep it up for a different team that isn't exactly that might be contending, unlike the Kings kind of always aren't. Um, but he, he's definitely made himself a legitimate NBA player when coming out of college, nobody really thought he was going to be able to do that. He has one more year less left on his contract. Oh. Yeah. So, but he's due after 2021 season. But, yeah, no, I think that especially to just going off Buddy Heald is he needed to make going to the last two, I believe he made, needed to make. Four out of four, or not four out of, pardon me, uh, eight out of ten, and he drained them all the win, which was, you know, awesome coming down to the final final shot, you know, ma- like literally down by one. You make this, you win, you miss this. Devin Booker wins it, so it was great to come down to that. And also going off the four-point shot, that was, or three-point, sh- was it three-point or four-point, the uh, Mountain Dew ball? I don't know. Yeah, four point. Uh, oh no, it was three actually. My bad. Three. Okay, yeah, no, that's, yeah I don't know, what, I couldn't remember what it was, but that was a lot of fun to watch too, and obviously just going off. Trey Young, just not a good stand-up shooter. Definitely needs to go off the dribble. <laughs> <laughs> Another Oklahoma player. Yeah. But yeah, the four-point play was definitely in the in the celebrity game, which Conrad uh, watched the, very, the little very vividly. Was that the little circle? No, they just had, they no, had, they just had like another three line. Point, four point oh. line. The, the circle, when the, the circle was actually what, um, what the Summer League did. Yeah. Ice cubes, it's totally blank. Oh, uh, escaping the big me three. Right now. Big three. in the big, big three. They also yes. use in the Harlem Globetrotters games. That, that's what was Harlem that's, I believe oh, Harlem Globetrotters started it, and then the big three took it, and I guess the NBA added it for the three-point contest. But I mean, it was fun to watch. Yeah. I'll give them that. It was a lot of fun to see what is. I'm just, personally, I'm not a big fan of having the last, being one of the wrecks with all the money balls. I think that obviously dilutes the scores. I think it's fun when someone would get to 20, now it's kind of like half the field's getting to 20. 
Um, Aren't they able to choose where that yeah, they can choose? Where I guess they yeah. can choose. Yeah. Also, too, it's interesting to watch. I like watching and see where, obviously where they put it and seeing where they start because a lot of people start like from the left hand side and then go around, like work yeah. around the top of the key to the right. But there are some players that went from right to left. Like uh, Buddy Heel did that in one. Yeah. It's all about strategy and what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And then uh, then we'll move into the controversial one of uh, of the weekend. Derek Jones Jr. won the dunk competition. Um, first, Conrad, you want to sum up why it was controversial, and then James, we can get into your thoughts. It was controversial because so they the judges were kind of colluding behind the backs to make that final round between um, Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon go into a overtime, so a dunk for dunk, just and just do it off of one dunk, but. Um, even though they were doing their best to collude and rig the scores, I believe it was Dwayne Wade put up the wrong score. I believe he put up a nine when he was supposed to put a ten or something like He's that. Like, I don't know what to do here. Um, and he looked very confused on camera, and then just ended up Derek Jones Jr. won it because of that little scuttle of her just mistake uh, by Dwayne uh, Wade. Mathur? Yeah, you never would have made that error, right? Yeah, well, I also probably wouldn't try to collude as a, a <laughs> judges for a, let's be honest, not important thing. Yeah, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I, I have a feeling that goes on on a lot of these Oh, that's contests. all of them. That's yeah. got to be every single one of these contests that have judges. Is that they try to do it to send it over, but there's no point. If there's a, a winner and Aaron Gordon, it's so brutal that the guy hasn't won a dunk contest because he's so talented and, and so he's been athletic. in some of the he's been yeah, in probably the again, two best said. ones in the yeah. in the modern era so it's uh that's frustrating but james what did you think of the dunk contest yeah so uh first of all let me say thank you to uh conrad for fixing the audio so i could be on here <laughs> yes no conrad's problem. a hero no problem conrad's uh, you are absolutely right when talking about the dunk contest i wouldn't go so far as to say a lot of people are clowning d wade for saying that um his nine was the one because he's biased because Derek Jones is a Miami Heat guy. Um, <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> he was the one that screwed up because if you look back at the video, he started taking out his, his earpiece and everything before the votes even went up and everybody even saw what happened. So I think he knew he screwed up and they all came <laughs> together and were saying, okay, we're all going to give this score so that it's a tie. And then he was just like walking away and they all looked right at him right away. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a dead giveaway. So that was crazy. Um, but obviously, Aaron Gordon was robbed. I haven't heard one person say that Derek Jones Jr. Not that he didn't deserve it. He put on a great contest, obviously. It was a great dunk contest overall. Um, but when you get five fifty dunks in a row, and your last dunk is dunking over seven foot five, let me repeat that for people who don't understand basketball. Seven foot five tallest player in the NBA by far by like three inches or four, uh, two inches. He jumped over that guy. Yeah. <laughs> on the first try and dunked him. People were like, oh, he didn't clear Taco Fall. You clear Taco Fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. And it wasn't planned either. I think Taco was a little surprised that he jumped over him there. <laughs> yeah, dude. They had Taco in like the second row with the players just to watch. It wasn't a planned dunk. Players were saying, oh, bring over ta- Taco. Dunk over Taco. And he did it. But they didn't give him a 50. At that point, you just got to give him a 50, Matt. Like, I, I understand, like, tying and going to a dunk off, but you, how do you not give that a 50? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Because you think about it, I mean, they give 50s to a lot of weak dunks where it's mm-hmm. like, how is that a 50? That's the thing that this whole judging thing 
if everything's a 50, nobody's ever going to have and a that's real the problem, one. is that the, the standards are so low that they just give you the score. Like, oh my god, what a dunk. That's So many of them aren't 50. Listen, it should be dunk, like two 50s in the entire contest. Dunking over Taco yeah. Fall? That sounds like a 50 to me. 47. <laughs> Oh, we got the, we got a no, tough judge over there. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. But all right, so we'll go into the new uh, All Star Game format then. So, starting off with it, Team LeBron won against Team Giannis, one fifty seven to one fifty five. Kawhi Leonard named MVP of the All Star Game. Kobe Bryant MVP. The Kobe yes, Bryant MVP, of right. course. Thank you for the correction there. I mean, do we like it? The new format. Did the NBA get it right? James, you want to start? Uh, sure. I mean, anybody that watched it, you know, and has watched past All-Star games, they 100% got it right. Uh, they hit it right on the nose with the idea of boosting the competition. I've never really had a concern about, like, I'm not going to complain being an NBA fan, watching guys just do alley-oops all game, because it's an incredible, it's the best talent in the world, just to see them go out and do that. But I definitely understand and backed up the idea that it should be more competitive, and they couldn't have picked a more perfect format. The idea of splitting the quarters into little games, uh, individual games, but not also leaving the final score uh, irrelevant. And, of course, the honor of adding the 24 points at the end cool uh, in honor of Kobe uh, as the target score. It was incredible to watch, not just because the first uh, two quarters, you had guys getting more serious as the quarter started to end, playing for their charities. But then the third and fourth quarter, the third quarter ended in a tie. What's the last time that's happened in an all-star game? That's a good they point. They really started getting serious. And then the fourth quarter was so intense, it was like a playoff game. And guys, you saw Giannis block LeBron. LeBron forced the ball out of bounds on Giannis. Uh, Giannis chased down LeBron on the block. Like You don't see these things in an all-star game. Uh, and it was just amazing, and it was so intense, and everybody was nervous. Like Who's going to win? It came so close. Uh, and undoubtedly, they're going to go forward with this. Uh, format. It was just amazing to watch. Yeah. A mix of talent and uh, the competition that everybody's wanted to see. Yeah, I would agree with that. Conrad, I know you love your NBA All-Star game, especially with it being in Chicago with the uh, first time using this format. What'd you think? I'm going to be honest. I thought before watching this game, I thought this made absolutely no sense. Like I was like, it's it's too confusing. Just let them play. It's not going to fix anything. Like it's They still understand what it is. They're they're really only responsibilities for their team, so this means nothing. This, this is just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dunk a couple times, and I can't get hurt. Um, that's usually the mindset going into the All-Star game, and I was kind of okay with it, um, but I liked how this did really vamp up the, the competition. Um, the first two quarters, while you did see kind of guys focus a little more, I believe both were kind of blowouts by 10 either way. So it, you, you couldn't really see too much there. Um, and I almost was wondering, did they just say, "All right, Team LeBron, you got the first, Giannis, you got the second, mm-hmm. so that a charity doesn't Both get charities get money, doesn't sure. get like um, get nothing." Um, and I'll be, uh, but that that second half, that third quarter, being a tie, each team trying to really get the edge going to that fourth, where it's you're only you're adding twenty four, so you're not so that one team's not down, let's say like thirty five, and has to really outdo somebody in the fourth quarter. But that fourth quarter was a lot of fun to watch. I thought the just making it 24 points, that'll be over in five seconds because the scores of these games are, as it was, it was 157 to 155, I believe was yes. the final score. Um, and I thought that fourth quarter was just going to be over in like two minutes. We'd never really get to see anything. But they really made each other play. And especially with um, referees actually had to get involved in the game and called fouls in that game. 
that's when you know it's like a legit thing because Kyle Lowry was trying oh, to draw a card, <laughs> charge on every time the ball was down the oh, court. Oh, you took my guy. I was so excited um, to talk about that. And Mr. Villanova oh, drawing drawn two charges, right? In the, yeah, in the All-Star two charges. Game. Just, in that pad, I almost beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Villanova show. We got to bring it up. Uh, it was fantastic to see that from Lowry. But it was, Lowry knows. He just throws himself around the court and, it's just, <laughs> and it works. Yeah, it, the game. it really does. And they mentioned it. The announcers mentioned it every time. They're like, who in their right mind puts their body on a line in an All-Star game to draw a charge against LeBron James? Oh, yeah. It's and Kyle of course, Lowry. Kyle Lowry's just on the else? ground. You know, Jay Wright's smiling seeing yeah, those, uh, those highlights. Today. And everybody, they're talking to the officials. They seem like they really wanted to win that game. Mm-hmm. And the 24 making it kind of a street game, uh, pickup game, made it so much more interesting. And then LeBron almost ruined it by thinking he was cool and pulling up from half for a three oh, to win the game. if he did that. That was just, <laughs> it was so competitive. Then he's like, and then you see LeBron do that. And you're like, does he really even care about this? Um, that's just my little take. Of, cor- of course if it was. If he that shot, though, the roof would have come down. I... I mean, I yeah, that, but that I don't know. It's Chicago. Chicago people don't exactly like LeBron, <laughs> if you haven't figured that part out. <laughs> sure. What did you think of the format? Uh, I liked it a lot. It's very similar to the NHL where they do, where they split up East and West Conference and they do a little mini game. But obviously that's still kind of like the old NBA All-Star game where it's just three on three and there's a lot of open ice. And I was convinced LeBron was going to hit the dagger three. He was sitting at 21 points. What better way than yeah, to hit like, the quote-unquote buzzer beater three, the game-winning three to end at 24, which is Kobe's number, which we haven't <laughs> talked about yet, I don't think. But um, no, but I think it, uh, I'll personally say I think it was one of the best halves quarters of basketball that I've ever, like one of the top that I've ever seen because it was, you, get out, you got out the top 10, you know, you had top 10 guys in the world out there playing and also, like, trying on defense, trying on offense. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It was very um, very fast-paced, a lot of fun. And it was, I think they put up a stat, 43, I think it was 43 dunks in the first three quarters, one in the last quarter, which shows how. I think it was, I think right after they showed that stat, I think LeBron dunked it. So yeah, I think yeah, it was like one, yeah, 47 to 2 or something. Yeah, and also, too, just um, interesting that, they, that Team LeBron wanted to go for the dagger three instead of, Doing the two, you know, two plus two, you know, to get to obviously the, the uh, obviously the cap was one fifty seven, but they're at one fifty four. So it was surprising they continued to go for the three pointer. Um, also, too, I said it. If there's a foul on the last play, just take it up top like it's blacktop basketball. Like just, that would have been. I, I was gonna bring that up that the game did end on a free throw. It's the same thing that they do with. Like, I, it, what were you gonna say? I mean, there is some poetic part to that because Anthony Davis obviously from the south side yeah. really from Green Bay because he's a Packers fan but um I'm sorry it's I mean that part was kind of they they mentioned it just being back in his in, in, in his city ending the game that's that's kind of cool but I, I agree with you if it shouldn't end on a free throw yeah, I think that either both teams should have been like hey you know we'll miss both and then just give us a ball up top or should have a little rule um also too it was it was interesting because it was very similar to uh, the basketball tournament that they have on during the summer where mm. they cut the game with, I believe it's five or six minutes left, and they add 10 to the leading score. It's very similar to this where they, and going in the fourth quarter with, I believe it's the last five minutes, they add, stop the clock, they add 10 to whoever's winning, and that's like the max score where you're trying to reach. So it was, I liked it a lot because it, because it keeps, obviously that turn very competitive, and it made this extremely competitive. And what we said, it was a touching tribute to Kobe. And, I think it's good because obviously if you if you try to do it to ten, it's going to be very quick. But twenty four, you're able to get twenty four is perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. So you're able to get, you're able to get a lot of possessions. Also, I was surprised they didn't really do that many subs because they were playing 
No, the guys that played the fourth quarter, played I think, played the whole, the whole thing. I think there was one sub. I believe Pascal Siakam came in for Team Giannis. I don't remember who it was for, but, like, you had Russ Westbrook sitting on the sideline when it's, like, obviously they said these are the ten best players in the NBA, but, like, you had Simmons and Westbrook. I don't want to say Booker because I don't know if he's, like, in, like, the top 15-ish, but you had a lot of good guys that were right that in just that sat on the bench. That just sat the whole time, but they were both, they were into it. Like, I don't know how I would feel if it's, like, hey, we're putting the best five guys on our team out there. And it's like, hey, I'm an NBA all-star. Like, what do you mean I'm not out there? But they were all into it. Yeah. And it was it was obviously great what you guys said for the charities, and it was um, perfect. And Teddy Bruschi tweeted out saying, "At NBA, please fix the Pro Bowl," which is very fun. <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm gonna. Because I'll go, I'll go very quickly on, on kind of the format. Because I just have some quick thoughts on it. Um, I do think they got it right because it's interesting. But what I will say is, getting an All Star game right is so difficult, especially mm-hmm. in sports like like in baseball. You can just let it play out like it normally would, and the sport just lends itself to being a competitive All Star game. Football, it's you can't. the Pro Bowl's unwatchable. Yeah, I can't do it. It makes sense though because you can't get injured. You don't want to. Get no, exactly. Because that's the sport that lends itself most to injuries. In yeah. hockey, the three v three is a lot of fun and it's really open. But they're going quarter speed, not even half speed. So that's tough to do. Basketball is kind of a happy medium, but it's also really hard to get it right because these guys want to be able to show off their crazy skills, like James was talking with these amazing dunks, these step back threes, and things like that. But you also don't want to get hurt. Add in the level of competition, though, that the fact you're playing for a Kobe Bryant MVP, when you think about it, like these guys all idolized, idolized the guy. Um, I think that's a really nice touch with it. I, I think the NBA got it right. and I, mean, I, I believe that the format's going to stay this way. I think it's cool. I, I think it worked. Um, I mean, it looked like a regular season game. Russell Westbrook went 0 for 4 from 3. Hey, I'm sorry. That was way too easy. Shout out to Brian as well because James Harden went three of nine. So that also make, could have the game. I think happy. also too they just didn't want that James Harden wide open three. Yeah. I think if you with a Kyle Lowry charge, like they swallowed that whistle for half a second, <laughs> more than a half second for a couple of like, and then they saw that he had the wide open three. And I think the guy underneath just went no, 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 no charge, charge, charge because it's like a thing about it, even more anticlimactic than Anthony Davis free throw because at least he missed it, but. At least missed the first one, but like, if he just hits a wide open three, it's like okay, pick up the ball and go home. Yeah, like, this no. was all. I, I understand, but I thought it was cool. It was different, and and that's fun because the All Star game I feel like should be different. Yeah, yes. so so that was fun. Um, we'll go very quickly through some second half storylines here because I do want to wrap this up so we can hit on miscellaneous and Nova Nation. But came out yesterday during the All Star game, which is very strange timing, or makes you think it was a dump. Um, because I, they tried to dump it. I think they tried to dump it as well, is that John Beeline and the Cleveland Cavaliers are considering parting ways before the season starts back up again on Thursday. Now, I'll start with that one in that it always seemed like an awkward fit. It yeah. never made a lot of sense for Beeline to leave Michigan, a place where he built up such an incredible program, You know, had been to the two national championships over the last decade, and to jump ship for Cleveland it just never felt right and clearly with the stories that have come out this year there was a whole controversy controversy about calling his players thugs in the locker room it just it seems like he hasn't been able to connect with the guys because as we've talked about a million times you know NBA guys and college guys the way you coach them is completely different and I wouldn't be surprised if these two step away with the Cavs are what 14 and 40 I believe their record is Mm -hmm. um what do you guys think on this 
I think it's a shame. Also, shout out uh, John Beeline starting his co- coaching career at Nazareth College in Rochester, New York, which is where my mom got her master's degree from. There we um, go. Also, uh, Mike Van, Stu Van, uh, Stu Van Gundy, or not Stu, um, Stan. Stan, Stan, pardon me, Stan, Stan Van Gundy started there too. But no, it was, I, I, I really hope he succeeds. I, w- I wish he would succeed. He's a very, he's a class act, like Coach Wright, like, yeah, I'm just, like, Coach Wright, um, there's no one else in that category. That's right. Bias. Um, <laughs> but it is. It, it's really a shame they left because he had something special at Michigan. He had. Um, he seems a very similar coach to Coach Wright where it is, um, you know, molding the student-athlete part of it is and, like, the young man and coming in, you know, with schoolwork and everything. And it's just a shame it's not working. I was very, I don't want to say heartbroken, but I was surprised and a little uneasy when he took the Cavaliers job because you are kind of losing one of the good men um, from NCAA basketball going um, you know, obviously not going to the NBA, but just losing someone, um, you know, in that in March Madness. Always kind of cheer for, you know, during March Madness. Conrad, uh, I'm just going off of the. It was a tough fit. I mean, it did kind of seem because the Cavaliers are, for the most part, so young and in that rebuilding where they're trying to build talent. It looked like John Beeline would have been a, a good fit there because he is so good, was so good at building that talent at Michigan. Um. And it's just kind of unfortunate that it's the Cavs, it's Cleveland, nothing ever works there unless you're LeBron. <laughs> um, and also with just, I hate to say this about guys, but with Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, and Andre Drummond being on the team and clearly not wanting to be there, there's no way these young guys are looking out. They're going to look up to older players, guys playing in the league that have had success in this league before they looked at a college coach. Because they all just left college. They left college for a reason. That was to get paid. That was so they didn't have to put up with all that school stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and him trying to bring that same intensity to a pro team um, without getting the buy-in of the older guys just was never going to work. And I really, it's disappointing because he, he could have really shaped those young guys. If Because I really do believe that those, those older guys never buying in is what just ruined him. Um, Kevin Love is... It, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson are disgraced by doing that. And I don't blame Andre Drummond because he was never in that situation. He mm-hmm. was just traded into it. But those other two guys, like, you're helping nobody by doing what you're doing. And it's just a shame that that professional sports has turned into that where if you don't want to be somewhere, you can make it known. And it's just and people will take your side instead of the bright side of just wanting to play your sport. Yeah, that's fair. James, what do you think? Yeah, you're totally right. Uh you guys got it right perfectly uh and then it comes down to the bigger point that when it comes to the Cavs like you said nothing seems like it could go right unless you're LeBron um but that's it starts at the top and it's Stan Gilbert that's the reason why the Cavs seem to always uh they can't do anything right and you were right when you said that it seemed like a good fit at first because this is a guy who built a culture and worked built a career off of working with young guys and you've talked about drafting Darius Garland first overall, then you have Colin Sexton there. Uh, but even though you have that young talent and that fit was never perfect to begin with, uh, for Dan Gilbert to be the continuous delusional owner that he's been and allow for a team to be put together where you have Kevin Love making all this money, they handed him this extension for no reason when the team's going nowhere, and now they can't move him. He's been disgruntled about that. Tristan Thompson's having a great year, but it's for nothing because he's playing for a team that's going nowhere the worst team in the east and you have an inexperienced coach who even though he's had ncaa success that's almost also never been uh, a qualifier for mba success so you're not giving your coach a roster that's worth 
uh, trying to win any games. You, everybody knew this wasn't going to be successful. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that uh, Beeline has to be cr- basically put in the crossfire, uh, crosshairs here uh, and be fired only halfway through. And what's most ironic is he handed him a five-year contract right off the bat. Yeah. How do you bring in a guy that doesn't have NBA experience and say, okay, we want you here for five years to build a culture and not even give him a full season? You should be giving him, at the very least, three uh, just so you could actually give him a roster and players to build around. You can't just give up like that. Um, but you know what? Good for him if he could get out of there, especially with the money that they promised him. Uh, just just get out of there. You get out of Cleveland. Yeah, it's a uh, no. It's cr- just think about just literally the All Star break was first season, and looks like they're they're gonna part ways. And uh, I mean, a story came out early that to to Conrad's point about players buying in that Beeline brought the same terminology from Michigan over to Cleveland, where I believe he named all of his plays after like animals, mm. so say calling polar bear out things like that. And the players hated it and wouldn't buy in from the start and said they won't they won't accept this. And so. Pete Alonso coming out exactly. There. Unless unless you got Pete going out there and hitting fifty three home runs, it's a little different. But so uh, so a tough. Just uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do end up parting ways because it's only reported that they're considering parting ways. But it's definitely looking like they're starting to move towards firing there. But all right, we're gonna wrap things up just because that segment did go long, and I want to get to everything else. I want to say thank you to James for coming on. That was thank great you. analysis. Thank you guys so much for having me. I look forward to coming on and listening to the rest of uh, your podcasts when I can't come on. And uh, you guys do a great job. So shout out to you guys. Shout out to Matt Cohen. It was his birthday the other day. Yeah, let's go, Cohen. And he's watching. I didn't know it was the first time he's watched. I've watched more times than you, Matt. So yeah, it's, it's crushing. No, it's crushing. And then where can people uh, see your NBA opinions on Instagram and Twitter? Oh, that's right. Uh, so I got you. I'm a pro. I started up for a social media class, but I've been getting more into it now. Uh, it's called NBA Discourse. I got it on Snapchat. Actually, Snapchat is Discourse NBA. But then we got Twitter, NBA Discourse, Instagram, NBA Discourse. I just give my predictions, some of my uh, thoughts and analysis. I'm going to try and get more into some news, um, break news, stuff like that. Uh, but it's just a fun thing I do because I love the NBA. And so if you want to go follow it, uh, absolutely give that a try perfect all right so thank you so much james that'll wrap it up for us here on this segment we're going to take a quick break and get back with some miscellaneous and around the nova nation this is round trip around 891 and we'll be right back we are back all right so we are going to get into some miscellaneous around the nova nation here as we wrap up for our final 20 minutes here again thank you to james Ryder for coming on and giving us some nba analysis for nba all-star weekend as um football is done baseball is not in full swing right now hockey we're still getting towards the playoffs so kind of a kind of a Awkward moment a little bit. XFL's here. Um, yep. But uh, but James did a really nice job of helping, <laughs> helping fill us in on, uh, on the NBA. So we are going to start with miscellaneous with the proposed MLB playoff format that could be coming into effect in 2022 after a new collective bargaining agreement is, uh, is agreed upon. Now, basically, and from all indications where that MLB is seriously considering this, how it works would be that right now you have three division winners and two wild cards with the two wild cards playing a one-game playoff to face uh, a division winner. The new format would have seven playoff teams from each league with the team with the best record receiving a bye in the first round of the playoffs and then the two, three, and four. So the division winner with the second best record, um, third then third best record, then wild card with the top record would then pick their opponent on live television for the postseason for best two out of threes. 
what, what do we think? Because I, I have very strong thoughts. I know on you it. have a take, and I can't wait because because we I'm, haven't talked about this I'm, yet. No, we haven't. Yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. I, I I love my sport of baseball. We'll oh, do anything yeah. to protect it. You, you want me to go first? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. It's disgraceful. Are you kidding me? This is what you come up with. That's what I listen, thought it was going to be. Listen, if you want to, <laughs> yeah, I'm really fired up about this. This really bothers me. If you want to expand the playoffs, that's okay. I can think about it. But what you do is very simple. You had a third wild card team, and that's it. And you leave it at that. And what you do is you have the second and third wild card teams playing a one game playoff to then playing a one game playoff against the number one wild card the next day, so that you punish the second and third for not being the top wild card while giving the top wild card an advantage of being at home. And waiting an extra day for, of having an extra day of rest. What happens if you get to game one sixty three? And that's where things get really uh, interesting. But I mean, if with the second playoff format that they're saying anyway, a game one sixty three throws things in the throws a wrench and everything. But the whole point of adding the extra playoff teams is to avoid a game one sixty three because you're saying you're in the playoffs anyway. Why that does is, it really matter? Yeah, it still does. It's it at some points it still can. But I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate the idea of seven. <laughs> Seven playoff teams from each league. I mean, why baseball's regular season is so special is because it really matters. It's hard to make the playoffs in baseball. You've got teams that are, you've got the, you know, the top end of the echelon with the Yankees and the Dodgers winning 101 and 106 games. And then you got to find a way to be one of the two other teams that gets enough wins to be able to make it into that wild card round. I mean, the Mets won 87 games this past year and missed out on the wild card. It's not supposed to be just a gimme to get in. With the proposed new format, just to use the Mets as another, uh, or they had 86 wins, but to use the Mets as another um, sticking point with this, the 2014 Mets had 78 wins. They would have made the playoffs under this new format. It it just doesn't work. I don't like the idea of rewarding. That's not even mediocrity. That's not good. That's under 500. And I don't like that. You you think about the NBA. We have those first-round matchups that people cannot stand with the one versus the eight, especially in the East when it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks against looking like the Orlando Magic where the Magic are, what, six, seven games under five hundred right now? That, no one wants to watch that. That's not entertaining. Now, it's going to be a sweep. It, like, it, it's it, not worth anybody's it time. It devalues the regular season, and it dilutes the postseason product, and that is why I'm just firmly against this. Yeah, I, I love it. No, I think that it's... Like, <laughs> it would be interesting just to see, but it's it's all money. Oh, listen, the show it's all money. where you it's pick your money. opponents, yeah, it's that'd money. be great. You think even me yeah. saying I hate it, you think I wouldn't watch it? I'd tune in I for every second it, of that. But it'd be it's all when you think about it, it's money for that because it's making a selection. Side. It's the same way the you know obviously selection Sunday has an NFL started to do that with when they're going to announce the schedule and the schedule announcement. So, um, yeah, it's just I think it takes away the playoff baseball because you're playing a series. But part of the series is when you get to the DS series, is it's 2-2-1. Two, two, so it's like it gives that away team the opportunity to, if they steal a game, to cl- clinch it at home. And if you do if you do this post, if you do this format, is it's just going to be two out of three at the, higher, at the higher team's ballpark. And it's just, it ends up prolonging it. And the baseball season, well, as Pat said, you know, it's very long. It does make every game important because there's teams that are, you know, cruising through July and then just fall off. Like I can think of the Padres the last couple of years mm-hmm. have been, and contention through contention through like June, July, middle of July, and then they just fall off, and that's what makes you know the 162 baseball game season so important. But um, yeah, I think it just it is it takes away some of the sacredness of making the playoffs. Is what you said. Is it's you make the playoffs, and like kind of what other sport do you have a big champagne? 
part. Obviously, every sport does. But what, like, when do you show that on TV and show everything? You know, if it's a big celebration of hey, you know, we just you know busted our behind for the last couple months. You know, for the last months from March through October. You know, through the beginning of October, and we made it. And now it's kind of worked. You know, quote unquote, in the dance where now anything can happen. Then if you expand to seven teams, is it's kind of you're almost putting in half the teams in the league in, and it just doesn't... You're up to 14 out of 30. Yeah, then. and that's the thing. It doesn't make it the same allure that it does of, oh, we're in the postseason. Oh, you know, this year the Nationals. Oh, you know, we got in. We won the wild card game. And it's like, okay, now we're safe by, you know, we can play three out of five. It's like, no, you got to go through all this. And I would disagree with your point of doing wild card and then wild card again because I think it just gets too many... Like, obviously, it would be great to do, like, one game series, but then it's just kind of, I think it gets to too many. I think that, if anything, I would like to maybe see expand and do a series with wild cards or expand it, you know, something like that. Because I just mm-hmm. think doing one or two out of three games and even putting people at buys, is it just kind of throws it all off. It's just, I'm, um, as I'm under the circumstance of what the NBA NHL and MLB where it's just, if you're in the playoffs, you're in it, there's no buys. Obviously, football, it's important, but it's... I like it where it's, you know, no matter how good you are, how bad you are in the playoffs, is it's like it's a clean slate. You've got to play every single round. No, I think that's fair. And just, just to clarify, I think they should leave the postseason format yeah, as it is. I'm saying, saying if, yeah. they if they did, did it, and, it, I, and I would, I and would, I would only prefer add that as one well, more, because one then more it does make it more But I think they nailed it with the second wild card. Listen, yeah. I had, think about how it first started. It first and that started wasn't just, when it started no, either. When baseball first went through it, it was just the division winners. Yeah. And and then they expanded to the wild card era, and now they're in the two wild cards. And I think the two wild cards is perfect. Yeah. I think the the games, you know, being with those one game playoffs are fantastic, and they're great drama, and it opens it up to try to fight for a second wild card and get in the postseason. I don't think you need to do more. I think they're doing a great job yeah. with the baseball and postseason. And like with that is, I don't mean to bring this up, comrade, but last year when Milwaukee and Chicago when they played that one sixty three two years ago. Or, well, two years ago, pardon me, yeah, it was our junior year. So, yeah. like, a year and a half ago, two baseball seasons. But when mm-hmm. they played, uh, two postseasons ago, when they played 163 for whoever There was, won like, that, a bunch of 163. Yeah, there's a year. lot. But, it was fun. Uh, but especially, too, with yours was whoever won that got the one seed, got... Divi- or, yeah. yeah, it was the one seed through the postseason. And the only one was... Uh, had to go host a wild card. And look at what happened. The one team made it to Game 7 in the NLCS, and the other team was out before... You know the DS, but and they mm-hmm. were on the wild card, so it's like again. I apologize for bringing that up, yeah. but it's I. But it's it, that makes it really fun. Where it's hey, you're either going to be the top dog, or you've got to go through the road, and you've got to go through another. You've got to go through another like anxious win in your end game. Yeah, I would go with that, and that I think that scenario of those one that year with the one bunch of one sixty threes would would lend itself to if they are going to expand the playoffs to do what Pat was talking about and just add. Um, Add the extra wild card and do a couple more one game, um, one game series. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it just because I didn't wasn't even thinking about. It, but once you guys brought up that now almost half the league is in the playoffs, um, that's really what ruins the NBA playoffs mm-hmm. is because that first round just right. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody watches that first round, um, and, it almost, and it does make the regular season just not worthwhile. Even though it is 162 games, which is a lot of games. And yeah. like the NBA struggles with making eighty-two games important. I don't know how baseball is able to do one sixty-two. But they can. That's the thing because of mm-hmm. because of only having six teams per side make it. Um, and that I think that number is perfect. The one thing I would change. They're at five right now. Or the five. Just, yeah, my bad. it could go to five. Six, it could go to six. Could. But the five right now. The only thing I would change is I I would like to see. 
possibly a if they are to make a change instead of adding that extra team i would add instead of the wild card being one three i just think it's a little more fair um i know for drama wise the one is definitely the best way to go and you get all eyes on it but the three makes it a little more of every the rest of everything in baseball is played in series i don't understand Mm -hmm. why a very important game isn't played in series and it kind of makes the drama go from spike right after regular season and kind of died down while you're waiting to get to games four and five of that ds um that's just one thing i would change and then also i i know like a lot of people like this whole if they were to do it pick your team i hate it yeah i think that's so gimmicky and it's just it, not it is a little gimmicky it's it, like i love it like it's a good for the all-star where like in the nba they pick their teams but the all-star's gimmick but it's a gimmick <laughs> like the all-star game is meant to be a gimmick it's always been a gimmick they're trying to make it not gimmicky in a way the playoffs should not be a gimmick. There should not be any TV. It should just be, let's go play baseball. I'm whoever you choose. That's what I'm going to play. Um, and that's how coaches want it to be. And that's, that's one thing I think that that'd be completely. So that's even worse than adding the seventh team um, is making them choose who they're playing. Like, ah, just keep it as it is. Just, just keep it as it is. And baseball is the one sport that a buy might hurt that team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's perfect the way it is. The playoffs are fantastic with the two wild cards just keep it like that but it, it is a big deal because mlb is apparently seriously considering this and i could i could see them going to it because it, there's a lot it more money in more it. market exactly it gets more markets involved in the thing so but I then it hurts it, the trade deadline it hurts the trade deadline and it just it just hurts the overall product of the sport so i hope they don't do it another baseball headline <laughs> it's the story that will not die uh, the houston astros still in the news as they had their apology tour last weekend down at spring training and completely botched it how so bad. a team can handle their PR so poorly, and it's not just this cheating scandal. The Astros it's everything. had the other scandal with Roberto Osuna uh, last year where they just handled things so incredibly poorly. To then have this scandal come up, to wait until now to come out with your – to have your uh, you know apologetic press conference and to blow it as badly as they did where they have Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman go up there – and read the shortest and most ungenuine apologies I think I've ever seen, and then have Jim Crane, the owner, come out and say, we cheated, but it didn't, or excuse me, they didn't say we cheated because they've never said we cheated. They've said we were wrong, but they have never said we cheated. And say it didn't affect the game? Are you kidding me? That's an apology saying it didn't affect the game? And then to go on top of that, then Rob Manfred came out yesterday and spoke, and he made things worse by just showing how tone deaf he is by first saying he didn't think that taking, which I don't think they should take the World Series away either, for the record. But the fact that he said, I don't think we should take the World Series away because what good does taking a piece of metal away <laughs> stand for? Quote. Are you really? <laughs> it's tough. about the legacy that goes with it, not the stupid trophy. And then. For to then bash reporting as well to be that that he was upset that more things about the Astros came out because I think his quote was congratulations you found a letter that where we basically you know outlined all the things the Astros did and reported on it that's his job and it's good that that came out in the Wall Street Journal so just how baseball can't get out of their own way how the Astros can't get out of their own way to put this thing behind them those all baseball wants is for this thing to go in the rearview mirror but they continue to bring it up because they can't handle it correctly. Yeah, no, it's been terrible. And also, too, they came up to, was it Altuver? They said, did he have a buzzer? And it's like if someone accused you of cheating or doing anything immediately and you did not do it, you would 
vouch for your life. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, I did not. And he goes, well, the investigation didn't show that I did. It's like, well, then. That's it. Yeah. AJ Hinch said the same thing. It's like, are you as kidding? Well. Especially too, like, I see if AJ, like, you know, maybe AJ Hinch didn't know, which obviously he did. And when you mm-hmm. ask straight to the person and he just gives you a roundabout answer, it's like, are you serious now? And I think that, who, I think it was Ravel tweeted out. He was like, uh, first it was, he didn't want his shirt ripped off. And also, too, his wife, there's a quote from... So Carlos Correa had Correa's, an interview over the weekend. Yeah, from which I was going to get ESPN, to next. Yep. And he said, like, Carlos Correa said he talked with Jose Altuve's wife and or with his wife said, why is Correa pulling off his jersey? And was like, I'm pretty sure your wife would not call you by the last name. Yeah, like, no, it is. Like, like, Megan's not calling you, hey, Zang. That's like, true. don't pull off his jersey. It's like, well, like, why is Zang pulling off his jersey or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. However, it's It's like, that's very... Odd. It is strange, but and then he also talked about how Altuve was shy about a tattoo that was on his collarbone. <laughs> now, how valid we want to believe if that's the reason why? What Altuve did do today actually was that he walked in front of supporters without a shirt to show them that he had a t- tattoo. tattoo on his yeah. collarbone. So he's trying. I don't think though when you get a tattoo, doesn't that hurt a lot? So I'm pretty sure you're not getting a tattoo in the middle of the postseason. It's it's yeah. it's a strange strange story. And like I said, they're they're handling it. Just so poorly. Cody Bellinger went at yeah. them over the weekend. Mike Trout's gone at them. Mike Trout Torres yeah. went at them today. I mean, baseball's ticked off at the Astros. And this is a story that as much as baseball wants to die, it's not going to die. And it is going to follow Houston to whichever city they go to this season. And it's going to be very interesting, especially with the fact that the Houston Astros are going to be a very good baseball team this year. Still, yeah. that's a very talented roster, even without Garrett Cole. So that will be interesting to watch as but they're the biggest villain in sports. We've, I mean, think about it. the Miami Heat were yeah. considered villains. Miami that was Heat just didn't cheat. They didn't no, do anything. That was just guys. They didn't like that a couple guys came together. This is these guys are going to be the biggest villains we've had in sports in a long time. Cheaters. That and the best part is if they literally just were like they didn't even have to like obviously if they came out and said we cheated. I think that would give them a lot of. But they won't do it. Yeah. They won't say they that. They say we were even, wrong. They don't say why they were wrong. Yeah, they say we, we were, were wrong. wrong. And just if they were like legit apologetic, this would have died down in a day. It would have been all right. They finally got ahead of this. And by saying that, it's literally going to bring up, get brought up in every press conference in every city because every reporter is going to want a chance to go at them and try to get something out of them. Where if they actually were like genuine, it's done. It's mm-hmm. done. People, you'll get thrown at. It'll be like a, this thing that follows you. Yeah, that's honestly, I don't know how many times. I saw there was an over-under on it. Really? It's oh, 83 really? and a half. So it's like one every that's a, that's a lot of hit batsmen, 83. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing, too, that I'm I'm very surprised that they haven't brought up was people forget a couple of years ago the Cardinals stole their database mm-hmm. to, quote-unquote, cheat as well, which obviously is oh, still very St. bad. Louis. I'm very I'm surprised. Very su- no. <laughs> I'm very surprised, like, they haven't tried to bring that up and be like, you know, try to flip, not flip the blame. I think they like, got hit with like massive that's fines the thing. and things like the thing uh, where that differs just because that was off. The well, field that was and like that the was about that was and, and exactly. But, but I'm just very surprised, especially two because it it's still cheating to them. It's still cheating. I'm just surprised that they weren't like one player. You know, even if they were trained not to say, if they just didn't say and be like, uh, if they just came up like Cardinals cheated too. You know, I'm I just I'm very surprised. Now I'm haven't just, they kind of insinuated they're like we're not the only team, yes. one? They yeah, have. That, that, they kind they keep trying to say that, and, and that's I'm, where things get interesting because if they keep getting poked, well, all you Sox need too. is one guy to come out and be like, well, they yes, the Red Sox investigation should be over soon. Yeah, they did I believe it's away. coming out so, this week. Okay, so, so what I heard. So that will hopefully be a story for us to talk about next week. But 
it's also not great, obviously, for baseball that cheating continues to be at the forefront of what's being talked about with it. Well, it'll be interesting because 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I think this is going to be a black eye for baseball. It's and it'll be interesting because we're going to we live about. through it and it's going to be like... We're actually going to have takes on it, unlike yeah. the steroids where we yeah, barely exactly. remember. Yeah, no, it's this is, this is a massive, massive moment for Major League Baseball. It, it really is. Uh, sticking with villains, uh, Manchester City, <laughs> where, where a different type of punishment. We'll go with that, then the Houston Astros. Manchester City were hit with a two-year ban from UEFA competitions for violating financial fair play. Now, basically, just to sum it up for anyone that doesn't understand what that means, is that, yep, no, as, as our friend, as friend standing over here. So first off, on, on City, they have won back-to-back English Premier League championships. They've won, I believe, four over the past decade. No, Manchester okay. City is not my That's team. That's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> they've won four over the past the decade. Red, the red team. I am the red team. Literally. They play tomorrow. Yeah. Um and what they did is that so they are owned by a Middle East by Middle Eastern royalty, and they have reported a lot of their money going in as sponsorship money. But UEFA did some digging, and it's actually come straight from the owners, which you can't do. It's a blatant violation of financial fair play, and they lied about it and they covered it up many, many times. So they got hit with pretty much the biggest penalty you can hit, which bans them from the biggest competition in soccer. I mean, it's the Champions League, and what's even more juicy about this one. Is that's the one competition that Man City has not been able to win? What do we think about the punishment? I mean, that's a massive punishment—a two-year ban as well as a thirty million dollars fine. Yeah, it's it's just really interesting to see how. Yeah, um, it's a legit punishment, unlike the Astros thing, which isn't like this is as close to like a death penalty thing as you can get in a pro sport. Now they're going to appeal it, and we'll see. I have a feeling it gets tuned down to one year. Yeah, but it's still. It's still Especially bad. being the one, the one thing they haven't won. Mm-hmm. It um, hurts. And it's it's going to be rough. It'll be weird next year without them because they are one of the best teams in Europe. Listen, they're playing but, Real Madrid in two weeks in the last 16 of the Champions League. Yeah, they're a good club, but they cheat. Yeah, they, they this has been going on for a long time. So it, it was definitely refreshing to see UEFA come down with this type of hammer. It's funny in soccer that doesn't usually happen. No, that's the thing. Soccer's the sport where corruption usually wins out and that's Man City's been linked with a lot of corruption over the past decade and finally they got hit with something. So it'll be interesting to follow. This is going to be a long process cuz it's going to get appealed and a lot of different things will come from that. Champions League is back tomorrow. Some incredible matchups. We just unfortunately don't have time to get into them, but really like the it, Take a look at the round of 16 for the Champions League. Just matchup after matchup is beyond stacked. Miles Garrett was reinstated by the NFL. I'll say no surprise there. Kind of felt like it was more of a just end of the season type thing. Yeah, this was the plan the whole time. Yeah, I think this was the plan the whole time. Uh, quick Islanders news, because I have to. Um, the Isles traded for D-man Andy Green yesterday from the New Jersey Devils. Green has been the captain of the Devils for the last five years. He's been the de- a devil for the last 14 years. They did give up a 2021 second rounder and a, a D-man prospect in Allen Quinville. Um, on Green, they just needed some stability on defense with with Pellet going out. He's a left-handed, as I said, left-handed D-man. Um, the Isles have been struggling, giving up about, I think it's .33 goals more on average per game since Pellet went out. They just need some stability back there. So the price, the price, a little steep. It's a second round pick for a thirty-seven year old on an expiring contract. But you need that type. You just needed someone to go back there for a team that's trying to make a run in the playoffs. He played pretty well today against Arizona. They did lose again, but that's because they can't score. So it'd be interesting to see if they go out with a trade there quickly around the Nova Nation. Villanova softball had a big week down in Florida, three and two week at the UCF tournament. The big thing was that Paige Roush threw a no hitter against FAU, thirteen strikeouts. I believe she became the tenth woman. Uh, on Villanova to ever throw a no-hitter. Awesome. Always wanted to see one. She's amazing, by the yeah. way. I believe she's ranked in the top 40 of of softball players in the country, and she's pr- 
probably better than that as well. She had a couple home runs down there as well. Like, if you get a chance to go out and watch some Villanova softball this year, watch number four because she's a stud. Uh, lacrosse lost 18-12 to to Yale at home. A tree of Wildcats did have hat tricks. Baseball as well comes up with a big win over number three Arizona State, a 2-1 win on Saturday. And the Villanova women beat Georgetown 48-40 behind Hurley's 15 points. You have any track news you want to get to here? Um, Charlie O'Donovan, a sophomore distance runner, uh, broke four minutes. I believe I it was the 43rd awesome. uh, Villanova men's athlete to break four minutes in the mile. And then also Logan Wetzel um, ran four minutes, 0.05 seconds. Um, Not so bad. he was right there. I know that's, um, that's a little um, heartbreaking. Hopefully but... he gets another chance this season to, to break that. But yeah, just a uh, good weekend out of those guys. It was fantastic. Yeah, but Nova Athletics on a roll right yes. now. Uh, and just an update, 51 seconds left. St. John's up 74-73 over Xavier. Wow, so coming, coming down to the wire there. But all right, that'll wrap up our show. Good show there, and we'll be back on next Monday night.